At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, a special remote edition of Hollinger and Duncan this week. Usually we are 3,000 miles away from each other when we record. Now we are, what, 8,000 miles away from yeah, each other? Yeah, we're, we're, we're a little far apart this time, but that's okay. It's okay, you know. It's Thanksgiving weekend, everyone's traveling, so we'll, we'll work it out. Yeah, no, it's uh, due, due to the miracle of light speed. I, I can hear you at just pretty much the same delay as usual. Um, so we wanted to take a little bit of a different tack this week uh, and just talk about now as we're eh, maybe five, six weeks into the NBA season, some of the things that really stick out to us as being undercovered, underreported, uh, perhaps, uh, maybe that weren't necessarily expected, but that haven't been particularly on the radar screen so far uh, as, you know, there's just so much to get to at the beginning of an NBA season. So John and I are each going to pick two stories that, we think haven't been covered that much and we're going to talk about them. So I will let you go first, Mr. Hollinger. Yeah. Um, so here's a story that I think like I wrote about it a little bit, but I think it's still not getting as much play nationally as it should, or maybe people don't understand the extent of it. The, the Spurs suck. Like <laughs> this, this is unbelievable, right? Like they won 48 games last year. They brought back DeJounte Murray. You think with their coaching staff, with their player development system, with everything they've done over the last few years, certainly they'd at least be a decent team, right? Like they, they suck. Like they're 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 25th in defense. They they've just given no sign of that they're going to be any kind of factor in the playoff chase at all. I mean, I guess they had that win over the Clippers. They can probably feel a little better about, but. They're seven and thirteen against a pretty light schedule, and in the West, it just it just doesn't seem like they're in any position to do anything viable this year. Nate Silver actually has them projected to finish last in the West, believe it or not. Yeah, well, uh, so there it is. John has ruled the Spurs out for the playoffs for our game later. I'll, I'll mark that down right now. <laughs> I still I still have some fruit that's hanging a bit lower than that one. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, the masses are clamoring for a, another edition of that feature. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Nate Silver projecting the Spurs to finish 27-55. and 55. ESPN's BPI a little sunnier on them, 35-47, and 47, still a 13% chance of making the playoffs. The fact that the eighth seed hasn't run away and hidden is at least good for them. Uh, but, yeah, yeah I mean, and you, and and for Portland, I should say, and and yeah. one or two, one or two other teams like Sacramento that had hopes coming into this season. Yeah, the 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 bottom half of that West playoff picture is way softer than anyone imagined. Well, so you you said uh, it's so crazy that they're like this. If they had been like this last year, I don't think that necessarily would have surprised people. I mean, I think I picked them to win like forty games or so. Yeah. last year. This year, I think I had them at forty six, but only because again it, it, of the. Popovich magic, right? First, first it was 
17-18, they win 47, even with no Kawhi for basically the entire year. And then you're like, well, you know, they, they lost Danny Green last year. They're, they're going to be worse. They got DeRozan. He doesn't really help win that much, but they do it again. Although, And it wasn't necessarily even, you know, some great point to tr- differential uh, luck that, that got them to that point. Yeah. But when you looked at the talent on this roster coming in and how poorly a lot of it fit, like... When you look at it just like that, I don't think it is that surprising. It's just maybe, hey, this is it's surprising that this is the year that the Popovich Magic may have run out. But, you know, it's not over yet. No, but I just, you know, we we obviously have all assigned them this giant halo because we expect everything to work out because for 20 years it has phenomenally well. And I think because of that, we didn't judge them as harshly coming into the year. I know I didn't. Like, my numbers had Dallas winning more games than San Antonio, and I just couldn't. I just couldn't go with it, you know, which, I mean, I probably should go with the numbers, right, given my background, but <laughs> but in this case, I didn't, and I'm um, paying paying for it. Uh, it's also the specific way that they're bad. Yeah. We, you don't expect a Popovich team to be this bad on defense. Is yeah, I, that's a, a major issue for sure. Uh, and, I mean, and I thought, well, the way it's going to – Maybe they'll be a little bit better defensively, but the offense isn't going to sustain. The offense actually you know, hasn't been that bad. They've been 11th, uh, you know, so that's about kind of where I expect them to be. But I thought they'd get better defensively with the return of Murray and, and that. Absolutely, happened. yeah. That that the that's the part that just blows me away that they could bring back Dejounte Murray and still just be a be a really bad defensive team. Um, can we talk about? Can we at least talk a little bit about? The fact that Marco Bellinelli has incriminating pictures of somebody in the San Antonio front <laughs> office or something. I, I just don't understand yeah. why he's still playing. Like, he was bad last year. Like, just objectively like a, a bad player who was fringe rotation at absolute best. And well, they just keep trying him say, out there. Is that fair to say when their bench was overall was so good last year, though, that he was part of that bench? I mean, he can't have been that bad, right? This year, I totally agree with you. I, I hated the signing. I wanted to hate it, but then their bench killed everyone last year. Yeah, I you know, I think I think last year on that bench, I mean, I he was part of the bench that was good. I'm not sure he was part of the reason that bench that was good. Sure. So I I don't know. It's t- tough for me to give him a ton of. I mean, to me, it was the other guys that would come in and, and wreck you with that second unit last year. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do still desperately need shooting. I guess that's the thought, and and maybe just pop. Needs a, a reminder of those halcyon old Spurs days every <laughs> once in a while. But, yeah, I mean, I think that it's, you know, Pop is, uh, as a coach, everything always seemed to work. Uh, you know, In-game, some of the rotational decisions, some of the end-of-game stuff at, at times. Of course, there, there's the not following last year in the playoffs. There, there's a number of those that I go back to 15-16 when they wouldn't play Kawhi at the four in that OKC series until they were down 30 in game Yeah, six. that's a good uh, point. And then they roared back, of course, and almost made that a game somehow. But uh, to me, it's all worked so well, even though the the in-game stuff I always kind of wonder about because the system is so good, because he got them to execute. And maybe part of the reason he got them to execute is, A, because they got guys who could deal with that type of coaching, and B, because he actually could kind of yank you in and out of the game a, a little bit and get you to perform that way. And he, he sort of got guys to buy into that. Um, but now when you look at it, it just, it, there doesn't seem to be a lot of rhyme or reason to some of these lineups, but in his defense, it's hard to get to that point when you have guys who are really hard to fit around like DeRozan, obviously in particular Murray being another one. Yeah. I think 
the thing they need are shooters who are better all-around players to make that work around Aldridge and DeRozan. Like, you can't just have Bryn Forbes and Marco Bellinelli around them and call it good. Yeah. Yeah, Patty Mills has been awesome this year, too, but the, even what he's been doing has, hasn't been enough. Um, all right, let, let me do my first one here. Sure. The draft. Yeah. John Morant, John Morant looks good, although uh, he is going to miss time now due to this back issue that he got when, oh, he fell into the cameras. But, hey, at least we got a really good view of his injury, by the way. that, that was That's more important than actually, like, not having him get injured in the first place. Yeah, point. yeah. As, as long as we have rock-hard objects very close to the court, I'm okay. <laughs> um, So, <laughs> I, I think, so he's been really good. Zion hasn't played. Three through ten has been an absolute wasteland so far in the draft. I mean, you're really struggling to find anyone who, I mean, yeah, rookies rarely contribute. I get that. But you're struggling to find anyone right now who even looks like they're going to be good. I mean, who do you think has been the best guy so far in the three through ten range? I mean, the Jack Hayes experience in New Orleans has at least given you some hope. You know, that a year or two or three down the line that there could really be something there. His athleticism stands out, even though he doesn't really know what he's doing yet, and he's physically yeah. underdeveloped. But he had, I mean, he has moments where he impacts the game, though. And I have trouble saying that about anyone else between 3 and 10. Yeah, I, well, I mean, some of them do impact the game. Oh, I'm sorry. Cam Reddish impacts the game. Yeah, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have put it that way. Yeah, he just doesn't impact it maybe the way you'd prefer. Yeah, no, that, that's that been uh, pretty rough. I mean, Jarrett Culver uh, is starting. They're starting him at point guard and bringing Jeff Teague off the bench, but uh, they certainly, Jarrett Culver didn't earn that uh, with his play. Darius Garland just can't get to the basket at, at all. Uh, and obviously, as a rookie point guard, he can't yeah. defend. DeAndre Hunter has been okay defensively, but can't really put the ball in the basket. Um, Barrett. Yeah has shown some signs a little bit. What do you think of how Barrett has played so far this year? Man, I mean, you know, he's he's trying to be the main man on an awful team without a lot of shooting around him. So you could see how this might happen coming into this year. But you you worry about you worry if the shooting is ever going to be enough. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing you wonder about with him to to elect, to really open up the floor for him and allow him to take advantage of his other skills and that the free throw shooting included with that. I mean, there were definitely moments where you saw even at Duke where he he got, he got so ball dominant and and shot happy and was like, dude, you have Zion on your team, like just just take three dribbles and then throw the ball in the air somewhere close to the basket. You'll probably get an assist. Um, but but he he has that capability of being a passer out of that. I just think he's in a really difficult environment for a rookie, oh, yeah. and you know, you're he's basically being asked to play point guard even though he's a wing player and rookie point guards usually take their lumps especially when they're 19 so i why would it be any different for him so i you know i still have belief in him long term but it, in terms of impact as a rookie yeah john morant's way ahead of him well and 51 percent from the free throw line is extremely troubling um, oh absolutely to, to me, yeah because and, and more because of what it portends for his jumper and he's so reliant on overwhelming guys physically using contact, drawing contact, that if he starts getting into this thing, which we see a lot of these bad free throw shooters do where they don't want to go to the foul line anymore, yep. that could be a real disaster That's, for him. That, yep, that is absolutely it. You hit the nail on the head there. Can we talk about Hachimura? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I think there's 
some completely unwarranted excitement about him. <laughs> it's how I would feel about it. I I still don't know how I feel about him. I I think the excitement about his present is unwarranted. I would I would agree with you on that. I I do think he has the best case possibly of uh, I shouldn't say the best case out of any of these guys. I mean actually like Kobe White has his moments. He just shoots every single time he gets the ball and hasn't made yeah. a whole lot of them yet. But Hachimura happens to have the one skill that's of least value in today's game, which is the ability to make a mid-range jumper anytime he wants, right? And so it's whether he can develop that into being a three-point weapon and develop other facets of his game enough to have value as a starting four, which right right now he really doesn't. But given that he's on a... I see, I feel like with him, he's on a different development track just because he didn't play against high-level competition until so late that you could still see the possibility of him taking further leaps than maybe than maybe you would normally assume for a player of his age. Yeah, I, I could maybe buy that. I, I do think he's just the lack of feel is a, a, a little bit disturbing to me. I mean, I, I struggle to come up with examples of guys who didn't have any feel and then just found some. And, you know, if you're maybe if you're going to be a three and D type of guy where maybe you're not a good help defender, but you can at least guard your guy and shoot threes. You know, if that you don't need to have like a huge IQ to, to play that type of a role, but if you're going to be more of a score, uh, if you're going to be more of an impact defender, I, I think it's, it's hard for me to see him getting also like, how does he never get to the foul line ever? It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, given his size and some of the ability he has, yeah, you'd think he could throw his body into somebody yeah. or shot fake somebody with how good he is from mid-range. And yeah, it hasn't really happened at all. And it wasn't it like wasn't a thing for him at Gonzaga either. So here's a question for you. I, I got the draft in front of me. Mm-hmm. Three through ten, that's eight picks. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have three through ten in this draft or 11 through 18 in, the, in this draft? I think for this year, it's very clear you'd rather have 11 through 18. Well, yeah, but, I mean, the two yeah. guys who have proven they can actually play at a pretty decent level are P.J. Washington and Tyler Hero, right? Yeah. Batadze has been good, too. And then Batadze has had some decent moments. Uh, Cameron Johnson, as much as that pick was panned for its lack of upside, has been a perfectly decent backup four out of the yeah, gate. Shooting 40% from three. The jumper looks good. Um, Dumboya has done some stuff in the, in the G League. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Chumo Kiki fan, too. Yeah. Uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker has disappointed his fan club so far. Uh, uh yeah. With with me as president, but I I I still have faith he'll come around. Yeah, he's shooting like thirty percent from two. That's not a, a amazing. Although I, I do think some he hasn't necessarily been put in a position to succeed sometimes because he's uh, when he's been out there a lot of times he's been the only ball handler and he's clearly yeah not he's ready been for that. yeah he can't quite be that guy who's like on the ball and being asked to create late in late in clock and and end of quarters and things like that. So I, I, I think that does put him in a little bit of a rough situation. He'll still shoot it, though. Yes. <laughs> we'll yeah, say, yeah, that, say that for him. Yeah, I mean. That's, that's an interesting debate, though. You're looking at this, and you're you're right. Like, which 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 group would you really, really take for the next five, ten years at this point? It's crazy that we're reevaluating the draft this early. Like yeah. the, the one guy I think in that eleven to eighteen group that you really probably have some questions about is Romeo Langford. Yeah, although yeah, he's been injured and and was probably not going to play much this year regardless because all all the wings they have. But yeah, yeah I mean we'll we'll have to 
dive into his film from Maine <laughs> later this year. Well, um, he actually yeah, got know, injured again today, so he, I don't know how much film we're going to have. Yeah, so, so much of that, uh, these guys early on to me, is, is about flashes. Like, I have seen some from White. You see some from Barrett every now and again. Garland less so to me. But, you know, I was doing some work for my all-decade stuff for Dunked On, and you know, looking at some of the rookie seasons that some of these guys had, you know, Kemba Walker was like 25% usage at like 45% true shooting. You know, it was just mm-hmm. like, th- there are a lot of guys, DeRozan is another one who has really struggled early on in, in their career. So not doing that well statistically isn't a death knell, but these were guys I, I didn't really like that much to begin with anyway. So that's uh, when it already feeds into your preconceived notion. That's uh, when you start to worry a little bit. Yeah, totally, totally. No, I think I think that's a great uh, under uh, undervalued uh, or what's the word we're looking for under the radar story. Yes, is the, uh, the the draft has not been a wash in glory, and especially the the high lottery. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll get back to John's second uh, undercovered story here. We want to tell you about my bookie. Are you the type of fan that knows football so well you could choose any game and call it? Well, in that case, my bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. NBA is starting football season, start of the college basketball season. It's time to get off the sideline and get in the action with my bookie. If you're the sort who likes to bet a little to win a lot, you could try a parlay. If you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. And if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. If you join right now, mybookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Just use promo code Locked On NBA. That's all one word, Locked On NBA, to activate the offer at mybookie.ag. Once again, that's promo code Locked On NBA. Visit mybookie.ag today. Enter that Locked On NBA promo code. You play, you win, and you get paid. We we'll back to the show momentarily, but I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Masterclass. I've known about them for a long time my wife actually signed up for them without me knowing about it because she wanted to improve her, her writing skills made me write some fiction she took margaret atwood's class absolutely loved it steph curry has a shooting and ball handling class which is really just a high quality stuff i've watched that before really no matter the subject at this point master class lets you learn from the best they've got exclusive access to online classes taught by true masters of their craft, whether it's acting, cooking, writing, there's even one on space exploration, and it's really up to you how deep you want to get into it. A lot of these classes have true exercises. My wife did that with Margaret Atwood's, where she really worked on improving her writing. They give you exercises to do, ways to improve, or if you just want to become a little bit more of a polymath, you can just watch the classes more casually. I think that a lot of them are really entertaining in their own right, even if you're not actually doing the exercises. Their app is available by phone, on your computer, Apple TV, and the All Access Pass membership, which is charged annually, gives users unlimited access to their now over 60 classes. 
and 200 hours of lessons taught by the world's best. Users give Masterclass an average rating of 4.7 out of 5 stars, but just in case you're not completely satisfied, they offer a 30-day money-back guarantee on the annual all-access pass. The way to get started with them is to go to masterclass.com slash PER. Yes, we have our own promo code now, PER. Of course, easy to remember, John Hollinger came up with that. And there's no better time to sign up and make sure you use that slash PR URL because when you buy one annual masterclass all access pass for yourself, you get another one to gift for free. That's pretty awesome for the holidays. And once again, the way to get started there is masterclass.com slash PER. All right, what's your number two undercovered story in the 2019-20 season? Well, I, I was tempted to say three-shot fouls suck, but I that story is no longer <laughs> undercovered. So I will instead talk about the team from north of the border, the Toronto Raptors, who keep on winning despite the fact that they keep on losing players. I mean, let alone that they lost Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, but then they lost Lowry and Ibaka in pretty short order after that. And that's when you thought, like, okay, well, now they'll, you know— now they'll take a setback. They're fourteen and four. They're they're number three in defense in the NBA, and all these guys that they were terrified to play in the opener when Nurse was trying to just play seven guys, they started playing them, and they're actually pretty good. Like you talk about how crappy the lottery was, then T- Terrence Davis, undrafted out of Ole Miss, has outperformed all of them. He's been one of the best rookies in the league. Uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson was a nice pickup. Chris Boucher, out of the blue at the age of 27, is, has become a productive backup big. Uh, you know, they're, they're just getting a lot of production from, from all sorts of places, so much that, that my buddy Mark is able to not shoot at all and still, uh, still they're able to, to win and win big. Yeah, it's, it's really been remarkable. And to me, I thought they'd be a top-five defense I didn't see any reason why they wouldn't be. Now, if you told me they weren't going to have Cal Lowry and Serge Ibaka, I wouldn't have been nearly as high on their defense. I mean, that's the, the even crazier part. But then to be seven in offense, like, yeah, I know Siakam has broken out and they have a, a few shooters, but that, that can't possibly sustain, can it? Yeah, I mean, I look at some of these numbers like, I mean, you know, okay, OG Ananobi, 63, true shooting. Terrence Davis, 63, you know, Norm Powell, 59. Those, those seem on the high end, let's say, of what you'd expect, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah. They have done a great job, I would say. I, You know, we talked a little bit about player development last week. The internal improvement they've gotten from players, if you look at Van Vliet, Ananobi, Siakam's the guy everyone talks about, obviously, um, Boucher, who was with their G League a year ago, uh, they've had guys take some major strides, especially as shooters and as offensive players that have really allowed them to enter a level that nobody thought they could enter. And and that's been, I think, the key to Toronto these last two years being as good as they've been. Yeah, throw Van Vliet in there too. I mean, just it, It's really incredible the, that they've just gotten these players uh, – out of nowhere so and they're projected to win 54 games by 538 and 57 by espn's bpi right now that is just a massive which, massive yeah. number 
Yeah, major fail on my part, by the way, predicting these guys to take a step back. Well, not just – I shouldn't say take a step back. I mean, they won the championship last year. Everyone thought they'd take a step back, but I, I thought they would end up at 43 wins, partly because I thought they would trade off some of these guys when it got to the trade deadline. Now it makes Masai Ujiri's dilemma a little more interesting where to go with this team if they're actually really competitive in the upper echelons of the East because I, I don't think he even probably thought that coming into this year. Do you think they can compete with the Sixers and Bucks in the playoffs? Uh, I do not, but yeah. I've been I've been I've been wrong at every other you know step along the way <laughs> here too, and they're fourteen and four, so I, it's hard for me to completely dismiss it out of hand. I mean, the one thing I will say, Mark showed again; he defends Joel Embiid really well, and yeah. so that gives them something to hang their hat on in a Philly series where they don't have to double team, they don't have to you know compromise other things defensively don't have to free up all those shooters on philly i guess um but uh, uh a, a milwaukee series i think would be a lot more challenging this time around yeah because siakam was not able to guard Giannis last year maybe og could do it he was he was not in the playoffs he would, last year, uh, yeah ananobi was not available last year i presume yeah. he would be the guy because then you keep the fouls off of siakam as well you'd probably yeah. give uh, hollis jefferson a few a few cracks at him yeah, but, they, they got Ibaka who could maybe do it too if they wanted. I'll be interested to see how much they're going to deploy the Gasol Ibaka together lineups, uh, which they did a little bit last year. Especially that really helped them in that Sixers series when you know Van Vliet just suddenly lost it his shooting touch. He, yeah, yeah I, I well, think, he got he got swallowed up by their size too. I mean that just oh, that yeah. just wasn't something that happened to Fred like that. That was the Sixers. I mean that yeah. that was them being huge was a factor in that. Yeah, and I think that they'll have the same problems with them this year. I just don't think ultimately they can score. They got so many guys they can throw at Siakam that, and everyone else on that team is playing off of Siakam basically. It's and Van Fleet, Lowry. In the regular season, those guys could run pick and roll, and they go under the basket, and then and the defense loses discipline, and they can set guys up. But in the playoffs against a team like Philly, they're going to make those guys beat them, and I don't think they're going to be able to do it. But uh, Still a, a great story, and maybe if they you know, they need maybe one more off the bench creator, and maybe that could get them into the conversation. Yeah, and I mean that, and again, we get to the trade deadline. Does you know do, do the Raptors decide that they're going to buy in? Instead, in, in, everyone's assumed that they would kind of trade themselves out by doing something with Lowry, maybe or Gasol or Rabaka. What if they go the other way? All right, so here's uh, my last one here. We're going to spend as much time on this one. The East playoff race might just be over already. Yeah, I mean, in the sense that there are seven teams that you have a really hard time seeing making the playoffs in virtually any scenario. Uh, You know, I had a lot of belief in the Bulls coming into that season, and they have just spent these first 20 games crushing that, pulverizing it into sand. (laughs) Yeah, Lowry Markkinen has got to be up there for one of the most disappointing players so far. Yeah, uh, he's yeah he had thirty five and seventeen in the opener and then just faded into oblivion. It's it's really tough. Uh, I think the the defensive scheme with the players they have trying to bring the bigs way out high when they're not like super mobile guys has really left them exposed. They offensively they just don't have a ton not having Otto Porter has hurt them because they don't have a lot of depth at that spot either and it's so they them being out of it that then you're really talking about 
eight teams, then who else do you have? Detroit still has ambitions of making the playoffs. I don't think they're really that realistic. Uh, the Wizards are really way more fun than anyone expected, but they do give up 150 points every game. And what, you got the Hornets are a nice surprise at 8-13, and 13, but even them, their point differential is horrid. I, I don't even know if they can continue to play at an 8-13 and 13 pace, much less improve oh, yeah. it to the point where they could get to the, I don't know, 34 wins or whatever it's going to take to get the eight seed in this conference. So I think I think the there are six teams with winning records in the East that I think are totally safe, and then I think Brooklyn and Orlando are probably your your last two just by default. Yeah, yeah. I think actually, Nets are over 500 now. Amazingly, uh, how well they played with Kyrie Irving out with this shoulder impingement that has didn't sound like it was going to be like a month long injury, but it seems to be trending that way at, at this point. Uh, maybe maybe the only hope is for those teams below is that the Magic just stay so injured that they can't stay in the mix, and you know some team yeah. thirty five wins is going to get in there. Yeah, that I mean that's the thing you cling to probably if you're one of these other teams that Orlando just can't string together enough shots and has trouble getting everybody on the court at the same time. They just lost Al Faruq Aminu, and but that even even that like. Even Orlando, even Orlando without Vucevic is like much more solid than any of these other seven teams, right? Yeah. I mean, at least so, they defend, right? Like, what? Is, yeah. None of these teams have anything to hang to, their hat on. <laughs> I mean, Wizards' offense, but the yeah, only way that yeah. they get that offense is by playing such bad defensive players that their defense is even worse. Yeah, it's like an entire team of DHs. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> uh. All right, let's take a, another quick break here, and then uh, we'll get into a little bit of mailback. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason. It tastes so stinking good. Dave's Killer Bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-GMO ingredients and is power packed with whole grains, fiber, and protein. Visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for Dave's Killer Bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store. 
All right, mailbag time, John. Where would you like to start? Let's start with a question from Blaise Malley, who asks, sorry if I botched your name, by the way, uh, who asked, which contract signed this offseason that you thought was a negative for the team has surprised you the most and vice versa? Oh, man. That's, uh, you mean I uh, maybe surprised me the most? I don't know. Any, any kind of mind for you? Let me let me think on this a little bit more. Uh, I, I've got a couple, but I, I'm not satisfied with them yet. Uh, you know that's that's how I feel at first. Um, I want to I want to think this through. I think I, I have more that I thought were positives that haven't turned. Oh, out I'll that say well. okay. So uh, Bojan Bogdanovich with Utah. Oh yeah. yeah, I thought that was a total overpay, and he's been fantastic for them. And he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. He, like he's been worth every cent they paid, and and it's really helped offset the fact that. Mike Conley's off to a slow start, and Joe Ingles has really struggled. And thankfully, he's been able to take up a lot of that slack for them and essentially allow them to be at the same level they were a year ago, despite those uh, despite those setbacks. So I, I think he's been really good for them. I still don't know if I'm super crazy about the third and fourth year on that deal when you get into those numbers, but they got to be really happy with what they're getting from this year. Yeah, career high in usage for him, surprisingly enough. Uh, I'd say Ricky Rubio in Phoenix would probably be the one that I really didn't care for. And he's really helped them be better than I thought he would. It always seemed like overpaying in the short term, but I didn't think that they would at least get as much short-term benefit as they had so far. Now, of course, he's been hurt. And they've been struggling a little bit more recently. So it could be by the end of the year that my initial impression would be the right one. But when he's been out there and fully healthy, he's really helped them more than I had anticipated, even if perhaps the end game with that contract and having a long-term point guard option in the organization still doesn't exist for them. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's. You see, I, I always kind of liked that idea. I just felt like they needed a real point guard for the rest of the development for their other guys to happen. So it was almost worth overpaying for for a veteran guy just to kind of snap Booker and Aiton and these other guys into the correct role. Um, even if you know maybe three or four years from now, Ricky isn't isn't a part of whatever they're doing. But I, I just thought in the short term he could really help get them to some place. What about Jimmy Butler? I, I didn't think necessarily that would be a negative for them this year, but that's another one where the back end of it was a little ugly. They gave up a lot of flexibility first rounder hard capping themselves this year uh, salary cap space going forward with his max deal but the heat have been so much better than anticipated and he's played really well he's been at an all nba level so far by the impact metrics that it maybe i changed my tune on that a little bit and especially if they you know get the fourth seed or the fifth seed to win 49 games then they become more attractive in the uh the free agent game yeah i to, to me when you have a guy of that caliber and he wants to come, you you, you kind of go ahead and do it and, and worry about everything else later. You, you just you just don't have many windows to get a player like that. Yeah, and, and in a locale where you can be a free agent destination if you start to play better, uh, which yeah, they, they kind of needed to. That's true. Yeah. Uh, can, can I say one through gritted teeth? Sure. Uh, Harry Barnes has not been bad. Yeah. I, I still don't I still don't know if I love that deal, but it's been it's been better than I thought it would be so far. Yeah, and that was one of those ones where uh, part of the reason I wasn't as low on that maybe as some people is it's just he at least has a pretty good floor 
as a player where he's going to defend competently and he's going to hit shots. And yeah, you might be overpaying by six or seven million dollars a year for that type of a player. Uh, but it, at least he's going to provide a level of competence at a position that's hard to fill. Now, you might say, hey, he's not a three, so you're not actually filling the position, but he's been good playing more four with Bagley out. That's what I, Bagley coming back, Aiton coming back, Fox coming back. Like so, so much for what's happened with these Suns and Kings is still just up in the air in terms of a long-term perspective, even if they've both been able to tread water so far without a lot of those stars. Yeah, exactly, because the guys they're really counting on to, to be their their future centerpieces haven't really been involved yet, except for Booker and Phoenix. Yeah, but I, maybe another time we'll talk about the ones that we thought were good that haven't been good. I've got a much longer list of those okay. so far. Uh, all right, let's. Uh, here's another one. We've talk, been talking a lot of Phoenix early in the season. Uh, Jordan says, with Ubre showing more of his game this year and filling into his potential, what do you guys see as his ceiling? Good role player, elite role player. Could he possibly be even an all-star since he's only 23? Yeah, I, I guess I still see good role player as kind of his... So he can do some things in terms of in terms of the one-on-one battles that a lot of kind of role player types can't do. Like, he's pretty athletic. He's pretty big. Um, he's an okay shooter like you at least probably want to guard him yeah uh i mean his he's made fewer gaffes in terms of defense and and feel and dribble blindness and things like that than we've seen in the past but i still think that's a major hole in his game that kind of puts a ceiling on what he can be like i i don't i don't know if he can ever be one of the three best players on a good team let's say yeah it's an interesting one because he's those are some of the tougher players to value. These wings who have a little bit more ball handling and scoring than just your three and D guy, but also don't do the three and the D as well as your prototypical guy there. Which of those types of players is more valuable? I guess it kind of just depends what your team needs. They do need another off the dribble score. So I think he, he is in the right place for him to develop it and be valuable for that team. Yeah, he's in a good spot. I mean, he's he's 35% from three this year and 81 from the line, which is like, okay, now you're more of like a real shooter. Yeah. If he, can, if he can hold that up, which, I mean, we've all learned not to buy too hard into short-term samples. That would be a hilarious feature to just do the, like, the most ridiculous outlier three-point shooting seasons that had everyone going crazy and then just were complete flukes. That, that, that would be that, a good good feature someday. That that would be a lot of fun. Aaron Baines is certainly <laughs> bidding to make that list. <laughs> okay, let's do one more here. All right. Uh, I tell you what. How about uh, from Mario Santos Davidson? Which early season individual player leaps are most sustainable? Uh, he actually mentions Baines and then uh, <laughs> uh, Wiggins, Siakam, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, uh, etc. What do you think, Nate? Oh, Baines, clearly. <laughs> this is just a normal age, trajectory age for 30, a 33-year-old center. I don't, age, yeah, I don't know what everyone's 30, making such a big deal out of. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he's just uh, you know, becoming the greatest uh, shooting center in NBA history. It was just right right there on his radar. Um, uh, if only he hadn't been derailed by health. He'd be in the MVP conversation. Um, okay, so, so Baines, number one, is least sustainable. Yeah. Most sustainable... I mean, Trey, Siakam, Trey, and Luca all look pretty darn good to me, I would say. Yeah, I mean, 
sustainable, you know, Luca, like sustainable this? Like, okay, yeah. maybe, yeah. you know, like maybe his player efficiency rating ends up in the mid to high 20s, right? <laughs> Instead of yeah. it at like an all time level. But sustainable. I'll tell you, I'll tell but you like, what, is he sustainable? Is a really good player for a long time? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. Yeah, but, well, sustainable. Do you think he'll be in the top five in MVP? Your MVP ballot or MVP fake ballot at the end of the year? Will he be top five on that? Do you think? I I think it's certainly in the realm of possibility. Yeah, I'll tell you what's impressed me so much about him is he just gets by guys. And you don't think of that from him because he's a, a little pudgy. He's gotten into better shape, obviously, but he's just such a good ball handler, and he's so strong, and has so many hesitations. And then he can set you up with the step back and changing speeds. It's just you see, like PJ Tucker, he's like just going through PJ Tucker. Then he's got the strength at the rim as well. It's some of the best defenders in the league, he's just beating them. Like yeah. he just blew by Paul George. I mean, I know they got crushed in that Clippers game, but he like blew by Paul George a couple of times. Like he just beats guys. That's the number one thing that's been the most impressive to me uh, of anything for him. Uh, at least uh, we hadn't seen as much before. Yeah, he's actually he's actually developed onto his skill level for a guy who was seen as a finished product coming into the league. His skill level has actually improved a lot. If you look at what he did his last year in Spain and even what he did last year. And, and what he's doing now this year. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, shooting a little better from three. Uh, and, yeah, it, it's really That's the scary awesome. part is he's still just, like, kind of meh outside shooter, right? Like, if he ever gets good at that and he's only 20, that's where it gets really scary. Then how do you guard him? So Wiggins is an interesting one. Easily having the best season of his career. Actually, just a little bit below league average. True shooting. has Not getting to the foul line much more than he had been. Uh, shooting from three is a little bit better. Interesting that he doesn't... It's really the drives and the passing that have been the difference for him, which, you know, I've I've certainly not been a Wiggins believer over the years, and this is a massive increase over where he was last year. But the way he's doing it with drives and passing, that isn't necessarily the sort of stuff where you're like, oh, this is prime for regression. Yeah, exactly. I, it's It's been pretty impressive. I give, uh, I give Ryan Saunders uh, some credit for, I think, pushing his shot chart into a, into a little more modern place than it used to be. Uh, he's, he's still, he still lives in the mid-range some, but uh, he's, he's taken more threes and he's uh i don't know just just seems to be making better decisions with the ball uh the 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 big thing is that he's you know he's shooting 52 percent on twos and he's never done that before which you, you look at him and you're like what well why wouldn't he do that <laughs> right he, like he's big he's athletic he can he can finish around the rim but he just hasn't done it and uh he's he's been able to do that this year i don't know i, I he he almost just seems a little more kind of at peace on the floor. Like I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it's it's hard. It's a tough thing to quantify a little bit. I I still don't have great hopes for the uh, for the idea of him being their point guard. Like I I watched that game in Atlanta, the first game where they they really went with that. He um, he didn't have an assist most of the game. I'm trying to figure out. I think he might have gotten one late. I don't have the box score in front of me, but it. It was yeah, more of yeah, him play one, one assist in that game. It was yeah. more of him playmaking to to 
create something for himself. And then when they initiated stuff, a lot of it was with Culver as a secondary initiator. And they were playing through towns in the post a lot, actually. And he was whipping passes all over. But, yeah. I, I mean, he's better. He's, he's definitely better than he's been. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. I, I don't know if it's yeah. going to be a, a Siakam-like jump, though. Well, considering that he was maybe one of the worst rotation players in the league last year, to at least get to being a positive for his team is a massive step. And I don't think it's going to sustain as much as since he's come back from uh, that illness and personal absence. He hasn't been at quite the same level. He's had some Wigginsy kind of games from an efficiency standpoint. But I think he, he at least can be a positive. I think they're getting him in the post more too, which is he's always been effective at that. I always wondered why they couldn't do that. I guess maybe due to a lack of spacing in the, the Butler years. But, yeah, I think he, he can at least help the team. <laughs> that's that's a, a massive <laughs> yeah. step forward. Yeah. 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 Is he going to live he's, up to that max contract? Yeah. Maybe yeah. not. But Yeah. He's he's actually one of their three best players this year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. You wrote this week for The Athletic about scouting and just the logistics of scouting. And the place I want to start with, you talked about it a little bit in the article, but... Why is it so important to see someone in person? Why do you need to fly, basically, take three days out of your life to fly to Australia to see LaMelo Ball in person? Isn't it just more efficient to watch all of his games on video and watch 20 games in the time that it would take you to get there? Yeah, I just, you know, having done this the last seven years, I I just think there are things that you gather from seeing a guy in person that you just can't from the tape all the time. Uh size especially but speed even too is is harder to see and harder to feel uh when you're just watching the tape it's easier actually after you've seen the guy and then you go back and watch tape i I feel like that's that's much easier you can kind of place what's happening into context a little better Uh, i think the ability to see the guy before the game warming up you might see him take a hundred shots and warm-ups and seven in a game on video right uh, granted, they're not all game shots, depending on how the guy warms up. But that's one of the other things you see. You can see them practice sometimes if you if you have the right connections with the right team, which is yeah. Now that super- that I'm I would be really fired up for like that. That's what I'm really. I mean, I'm not I'm not questioning that like in person scouting for a game isn't that great. Yeah. I was just sort of setting it up as a devil's advocate. But yeah, I mean, get, getting to go into the practice would be huge. I think. Yeah, it it is especially. If you go on a day when they're having a real practice, you know, some, sometimes you make all these plans and you come in and the coach is like, yeah, we're real tired. We're just going to get shots up today. You're like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, just part, of the, part of the drill. But, you know, all those, all those windows into the things that you can't just get from the tape, I, I think, are really helpful and are really are a reason why. You want to see these guys in person, and especially. I always felt like it was tough for us to draft, and I think a lot of teams are are like this. I don't think it was just us. Where if if the if the main people who are going to be in the room making the decision, if one of if at least one of them, and hopefully all of them, hadn't seen the guy in person, it was it was going to be a tough hill for that guy to climb to get to be the pick. There there were there were just too many other other things in his way. I felt if if that was the case, so. Well- did you ever run into the situation though where everyone really liked the guy 
and then the decision maker the gm finally goes and sees him in person i mean i've heard a lot of these stories uh but the gm goes and sees him in person and he just happened to suck that night and then you just like you can't now you can't get past that because the guy saw him in person he was just so bad that night um we i mean i'm trying to think we we had somebody like that once who had a just a disaster of a workout for us. And I don't know if he would have been the pick anyway. It was like people – it wasn't like everyone was in love with him, but some people liked him. And the workout was so bad, it was just like, okay, <laughs> never mind, move along. Um, but – Yeah, yeah. I mean the workout is the, is the other one where you just mm-hmm. – Small sample size, right? When, I mean, we had debates yeah. about whether we should do workouts or what we yeah. should do in workouts. And and I think that's a really interesting thing because not only is it small sample size, but it's the last thing you see. And that can just be so powerful in your mind that it can just – it just pushes out all the other data. It's crazy. And and even if you try to adjust for it mentally, it's just so hard. Yeah. And – Yeah. It, you're almost like taking it personally like, oh, you didn't perform for us. Like – you know, now now we draft you, and you're just you've lost all your powers when you're in our building, right? Like it's it's kind of it's really odd, I think. Yeah, to, or you just you bring a guy and you have him work out against a nobody, and he gets his butt kicked, and maybe it's because he had you know all kinds of flight difficulty the day before and has worked out four days in a row, and some of the workout schedules these guys have are are crazy, uh, but. You didn't see that with your eyes. The thing you saw with your eyes was this guy getting his butt kicked, and it's and it's hard to erase that from your memory banks or just say, well, I'll only consider that as 10% of my evaluation. Yeah. It, it, I mean, maybe there's something to be said for actually going through and subjectively saying, okay, workout, we're giving him a one on the workout, but you know, we're, we're only letting that be 10% and try, trying to kind of at least do that numerically, maybe not as your final decision, but just to at least make sure, okay, like we can't, we can't, assigned more credit than x due to this one factor because we saw him in person this one day and he you know i mean you you never know like he could have sprained his ankle in practice the other day there's really there's so many things that can go wrong when you just see a guy on uh, you know you're limiting i mean not that you're limiting but when how he played on two or three days take on outside roles yeah uh, yeah i mean some of the most interesting debates i've had in the in the basketball business have been about the the usefulness of draft workouts what I'll did leave you it guys have him do in draft workouts? What was the? I mean, I guess maybe we should probably save some of this for for the actual draft time. But yeah, what did you find to be? Uh, let me ask you this: What is the one thing that you gleaned from workouts that you thought was most useful? I could see them shoot a hundred threes in yeah. in one in one setting, and I could calibrate from that roughly. Or you just watch a guy and you're like, okay. He can, <laughs> he can shoot. He has a chance. Or even if a guy who, who, who didn't shoot a high percentage, you kind of look at him, look at him with the coaches, and you'd say, like, how fixable is this? Yeah. You know, you watch. Uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll go in the way back machine. Like we had Jeremy Grant work out for us, and one of the things we were watching when he worked out was, okay, we knew he could not shoot at that time, yeah. but we were asking ourselves, okay, how how repairable is this? Will he ever be able to shoot? What was the answer? There were there were uh, mixed uh, <laughs> mixed answers, let's say. Yeah, well, <laughs> some were more optimistic than others. Yeah, much like the mixed results that he's had. At- <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, he he could be. A, 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 I can't remember what he shoot. He, he was like twenty percent from three or something the last time I looked at it this year. Uh, but he's certainly encouraged to fire away. Um, 
So, yeah, anything else that really, when it comes to scouting in person and the logistics that really stands out for you that that people just don't really understand? Probably just the there's there's this whole time component to it that's really like a race against the clock to see all these people in the least amount of time in the most logistical way possible. It's a, it's a giant game of Jenga. It's and uh, we like and when you throw like the Europeans on top of it and stuff. So you're sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, I can see Maryland play Minnesota on Tuesday, but I also need to get out to Israel at some point. <laughs> and like you're you're putting all these things together. You don't want to travel during the trade season. Uh, you you got all these college tournaments that are going on. Like this weekend, there's a ton of college tournaments, so everyone will go to those so they can do one-stop shopping, see a bunch of games in one day. Uh, same thing for the conference tournaments, uh, for the – NCAA is a, a little bit less uh, just because that, that event is so tailored to TV that a lot of people scout that off TV. But uh, and, then, and then getting out to Europe is the same kind of logistical puzzle where you can be going to a different game in a different country every day. And a lot of times they don't schedule them until like 10 days out. Like it's, it's, they, they do scheduling a little different over there. Uh, and so th- that can be a whole different ball wax too trying to plan all that out so it's just it's just a crazy game of planes trains and automobiles uh for for a lot of people on the front office side yeah and it doesn't help that a lot of these colleges are uh not in major major markets with 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 major airports uh yeah like there's no and you're you know you're starting out in memphis to begin with in our case which i mean at least we're in the middle of the country but like we're not in a hub right just just stow away on one of those fedex planes so like hey can i get a flight from memphis to boise to see chandler hutchison (laughs) you know like that's that's gonna be a little bit of an undertaking right so now you're trying to like wedge a bunch of other games in the west around it and they, they never schedule these things with us in mind so anyway I, I digress, I, but I, I'm uh, the other thing that I thought was really interesting is that going to Europe because they're they start earlier and they finish later. It seems like a lot of the scouting there happens October or it happens in like April or May. Yes, and so that again you run into an issue where maybe a guy is injured, he's not playing that well during that period. It, you know, I think it sounded from uh, Gavoni's podcast with Woj talking about how a lot of decision makers just didn't see Luca at the right time when he was playing really well and he had a tough finish to the season a lot of the way so it's again you're running into issues there uh, I guess maybe the way you could do it is to just try to compartmentalize and just say okay when I see someone in person I'm only going to evaluate these things and the rest of the things will just try to make it the overall body of work do you think it's possible to do it that way yeah, I I do. I think though that part of the thing that part of the thing that threw people off in Luca's case when they went out to see him that spring was how fat he'd gotten over the course of the season. So yeah. I, I and that was a tough thing to compartmentalize. It wasn't like oh he went one for seven he had a bad night. It was like hey he looks fat. <laughs> you know that's <laughs> that, that was a hard one. Yeah, as uh, as my buddy Ethan Strauss says, fat is uh, potential in disguise. Fat is potential in disguise. I, I think he's onto something there. I mean, hey, I mean, we had Marc Gasol, right? I mean, he's he's the poster child for that. Um, okay, last thing here. Player development, we talked about this some last week. But what about off-the-court player development? 
what are some of the things that teams are doing to help with that, especially now when so many guys are getting drafted at age 19? You've basically lived away from home one year in college where it, you're kind of in this bubble and everything is prescribed for you. So uh, what are teams doing to help players make the transition off the court these days? Yeah, well, we'll we'll start with the league has a mandatory thing uh, shortly after summer league called rookie transition program, where they go through some of the things of like, okay, now you're living in as an adult, you know, here's how to balance a checkbook, or here's how to, I don't, does anyone uh, actually? That's probably a bad example. Does, <laughs> does anyone use checks anymore? Um, but. <laughs> Uh, I have never once balanced my checkbook. Actually, and I'm 39 years old. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I uh, you know, whatever, the, whatever it is they need to do with with banking these days, they, yeah. they, they go through, they go through those types of things, and how you know you're going to have, you know, you might have situations with friends and relatives asking you for money and all that, but that that's for two days and then it stops, right? And right. so. What we have um, in Mem- had in Memphis was probably similar to what a lot of teams have in terms of there's a director of player programs who is kind of work with the players to help help them a on with onboarding, which is really important. Get them moved in, get them acclimated to Memphis, show them around town. Uh, you know, should show them the MLK site, show them some of the other things that make Memphis Memphis. You know, a lot of other teams do the same thing in there town with whatever landmarks or things or cultural things are, are important to those cities and then uh, just helping them deal with like some of the stuff with with family and with uh, some of the you know some of the challenges of being in your early 20s and, so, and suddenly making a lot of money and there are different teams who probably do it a, a little differently but I think I think there's largely the same playbook uh, around the league where where you're really trying to make it as easy as possible for these guys to acclimate themselves and not have to worry about their personal stuff when they're on the court. I always felt like there's just, cause you're on the road so many days, you're coming back at 4am after a, a game sometimes just having someone. And I'm not sure, I think this would be legal under the CBA to just be, all right, we're going to have an assistant for you who can, pack up all your stuff or who can do your dry cleaning for you or who who can just do some shopping for you whatever it is where you're just all of that normal life stuff that we would be doing to just take care of that stuff for them clean your house even uh you're probably running at some point up against circumvention with that but i think to the maximum extent possible i would want to provide that especially for young players who you know, maybe aren't making enough money to afford to pay someone to do that themselves or just even the logistics of finding someone to do that stuff for them just so they have more time to probably sleep, frankly, probably more, more even than uh, to be doing basketball activities. Yeah. I mean, the, the food stuff, I will say the um, uh, a lot of teams have taken that over. Um, a lot of teams have uh, – like the uh, the team nutritionist and the chef and we'll team up with the training staff and just design meals for these guys or shakes or whatever for these guys to have to take away so that they're they have their hands on them for as many meals as possible. Uh, a lot of teams have barbershops now. Yeah, uh, we we had one in uh, in uh, put in in Memphis uh, in, when we redid our player lounge. 
so li- li- little things like that. I can't say specifically on the uh, on the dry cleaning question. <laughs> I'm very concerned about the dry cleaning. <laughs> you, see, you see, you seem to be. Yes, yes. This is a <laughs> the issue the league needs to tackle in the next CBA. Um, all right, man. Well, enjoy London. What's uh, what's the best thing that you've done since you've been there? Uh, seen the sun. <laughs> it's been really. We, we it's actually, been, yeah, it's been really nice. Yeah, yeah. We have we have not seen the sun on the west coast actually uh, all weekend. Wow, wow. Well, I I did not expect to see the sun here, so I've been really pleasantly surprised. So I can uh, hopefully someone gave you this recommendation already, but especially since you're a vegetarian and this is this is for everyone, uh, dishoom is maybe the best Indian food that I've ever had. If you're ever in London, that's like the the place to go. I, I gave Dan Feldman that recommendation, and he was like, "Yeah, we waited an hour and a half, and it was like well, well worth it." So. If wow. you, you've never been there, either John or our listeners, make sure you, you get to Dishoom when you're in London. All right. Uh, oh, I guess we have to close the show, don't we? <laughs> yep. Here we go again. <laughs> I I threatened to just use the one that you... Or I didn't threaten. I, I uh, held out the carrot of just using the perfect one you did last time. But unfortunately... I don't have that saved on this computer, so, so we're going we're gonna to have to put you through it again. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks again for joining us. And you can, uh, you can subscribe to our podcast on uh, iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. And follow us on Twitter, at John Hollinger and at NateDuncanNBA. And listen to us again, and we'll hopefully be talking to you soon. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.